Alexis Dubief with the Precious Little Sleep Podcast, and I'm flying solo this week, uh, something I hope both you and my podcasting buddies will forgive me for. I'm going to be honest, there's been a lot of uh, ennui in the Dubief household in the past two weeks, and my energy levels to do things that I should be doing, like finishing up the last steps of my book, cleaning the house, and podcasting are all pretty low, <laughs> so... I'm going to do what's called phoning it in this week, but I'm going to actually answer some reader mail. And I thank everybody who has sent us questions at podcast at preciouslittlesleep.com. I've tackled a few today, but keep sending questions in because who knows how long my ennui will continue and maybe we'll be doing lots of these in the future. (laughs) So your contributions are enormously helpful. So let's start off with Joanna. I, lo- I loved her message. It made me laugh. Joanna asks, I am the mom of a beautiful seven-month-old girl, and since she was about four weeks old when I found your website, I have been the high priestess of sleep. I made sure she napped regularly, got a bedtime routine in place from six weeks, and stuck with it. I taught her painstakingly to fall asleep independently. All of this while my husband and friends were telling me I was being paranoid and should enjoy her babyhood. But I felt suitably smug and rewarded when I had an eight-week-old who napped well and slept for nine hours straight before her first eating of the night. All of this went to hell in a handbasket at week 15 when she started waking up at 11 and then 1 and then so on. And now she's waking four times a night. I had assumed this was a dreaded sleep regression and just accepted it. But now it's week 24, nine weeks later, not a regression. And I realized it wasn't getting any better. So here I am with a seven-month-old who wakes up at 11, 2, 4.30, and 6. She falls asleep by herself every night, and there is a solid 30 minutes gap between her last feeding and bedtime. No rocking, no shushing. What gives? Okay, great. So this happens a lot. You do all of the right things. You're expecting the sleep gods to rain down their bounty upon you. And instead, you have a seven-month-old who's waking four times a night to eat. And it's got to seem enormously unfair. So let's look at why that's happening. A few things I would look at. She doesn't mention her daytime schedule, so I don't actually know if um, she, if her daughter is a heavy napper or has smaller wake times. But that is something you want to rule out. If your child is napping four or five hours a day, if their last nap ends too close to bedtime and they're not awake long enough before bedtime – that's going to lead to frequent night weeding. But let's assume, because Joanna is the high priestess of sleep, that her sleep schedule is also a gold star of perfection. So if we assume that, a couple of things I would do. One is I would look at her bedtime routine and go, okay, what's going on there? Is she completely awake or is she sort of drowsy? Uh, I see this a lot with families where they have this beautiful routine, but the last step of their routine is like turning off the lights having the child on their shoulder, dancing around, singing songs. But what's really happening is the child is like 80% asleep and then is like snuck into the crib and is just kind of, you know, basically almost asleep when they walk out the door. So that could be in the mix. Again, high priest is asleep. I'm going to assume that she's not falling into that trap, but I want to put it out there in case anyone is listening. Um... 
We also have other reasons why kids wake up a lot to eat. Um, sometimes parents go back to work. Babies don't like the bottle. They prefer nursing, so they start waking frequently. That could be in the mix. Her first feeding is at 11. Now, I don't know what time her bedtime is, but let's assume it's between 7 or 8. 11 is pretty early after bedtime. So when you feed early in the night... Uh, which, you know, three hours after bedtime is pretty early, that can actually reset the sleep association that you worked so painstakingly to not establish at bedtime. This is super unfair. And, (laughs) you know, you would think that once you nailed bedtime, you know, the rest of the night was just going to be golden and shiny and sparkly, but it really is a little more complicated than that. Um, And the other thing I'm going to point out is you have a child who's nursing, you know, four times a night. Uh, Again, I don't know what the eating pattern is during the day, um, but it could just be that this is a kid who really likes nursing. Some kids really like nursing, and I make this analogy a lot, but it really holds up. Nursing is like a caramel cupcake. It's really awesome. And people are like, well, I don't know if my child's hungry or not. I'm like, well... Even if I'm not hungry, if somebody offers me a caramel cupcake, I'm going to say, thank you, ma'am, and take it. So we have this kind of weird reward system where sleep sort of sucks. No kid is excited about sleep. Nursing is a caramel cupcake. Who wants to not do that? I would love to do that all the time. Caramel cupcakes are the best. And keep in mind that your child's waking up just naturally cycling through light sleep five to eight times a night. So every time they hit this light sleep, they have to make a decision. Do I want to fall back asleep or might I like a little bit of that caramel cupcake because that's so great. So um, you're sort of fighting against that uh, that incentive system, which is really sort of saying, hey, not sleeping is pretty great. <laughs> Far better than sleeping. Um so there's a long list of things that could be driving into this four times a night waking pattern. Um, I would look at weaning off the 11 o'clock feed using just kind of the reducing the amount of time. So if it was like 10 minutes aside, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, and see what happens. If that goes smoothly, this could just be a bad habit that backed up on you. And that happens. If she fights you tooth and nail... You know, meaning you get down to three minutes, two minutes, and this kid is screaming to wake the dead. And keep in mind, this is an early feeding. She just ate a few hours ago. So it's hard for me to really believe that she's starving. So if she's, if she's really fighting you on the 11 o'clock feed, and again, remember, sleep drive is really powerful at 11. So it's not easy to fight uh, about things at 11 o'clock because your body is telling you to sleep. So if she's really fighting you, I would go, hmm. Why is she not more tired? And then I would come back to what's happening at bedtime? Is she 100% awake? What is my sleep schedule? Is she awake long enough before bedtime? Um, is she napping too much? And if all of those things are perfection, then I would just say, you have a boob baby who loves the boob. Nursing is a caramel cupcake. If a caramel cupcake is an option on the table, a lot of kids are going to take that. And fundamentally, if you've ruled out all possible sleep hygiene issues and you've come to the conclusion that you have a boob baby at the end of the day, especially with a seven-month-old who developmentally does not need to eat four times a night, it sometimes comes down to who wants it more. And, um, you know, and that really is an individual family discussion around where you're at, what's working, what's not working, and how long you want to keep this up. 
So I know I put a lot of things on the table, but given what I know, I can't really remove a lot of those things. So I would just sort of, you know, rule out the things that aren't problems and, you know, kind of dial into what is the problem based on what, you know, shakes out there. How's that for rambling? There you go. Similarly, Cheryl asks, my daughter goes to bed independently with a good routine, still wakes up at night, anywhere between 1 and 4.30. When she wakes up, she will not go back to sleep in her crib. The only way to get her back to sleep is to nurse and co-sleep. If we, if we just commit to not doing this for a few days, will that eventually work? So all of the things we just discussed with Joanna apply here. Uh, is the schedule age-appropriate, awesome? Is she tired enough at bedtime? Is she napping too much during the day? Uh, is she completely wide, wide, wide awake at bedtime? No pacifier use at bedtime? Yada, yada, yada. So if we have all of those sort of, you know, things lined up in perfection and no problems and lingering associations, et cetera, and we have this persistent waking, we need to look at what's happening. 1 to 4.30 is a wide swing of time. And again, I don't know what time Cheryl's child goes to bed, but let's just assume that it's like 7. So if she goes to bed at 7, at 1 in the morning, it's still actually fairly early on in terms of you know where she's going to sleep at night. She's only been asleep for 6 hours. She probably has another 4 to 5 hours of sleep left. So the sleep drive is pretty powerful at that time. If she's waking up more often at 1, sleep drive, the biology of sleep is still pretty pretty powerful and present. So I would argue that if she's waking up more frequently at one o'clock, the key is to put her back in her own bed and have faith that her body's drive for sleep will help her fall back asleep. Now, if she's waking up more often at 4.30, it gets a little bit tricky because let's say she goes to bed at seven. Now it's 4.30. She's been sleeping for, you know, a long time. Her sleep drive is pretty dinky. Falling back to sleep is going to be challenging. Um, and that's sort of getting into that snooze button zone where people sometimes co-sleep or, or, or nurse to sleep just to kind of buy an extra hour or two of sleep. Um, here's the tricky part, though. Some kids really love co-sleeping, and that's fine as long as it works for everybody. And for a lot of families, you know, co-sleeping from 4.30 to 6.30 is a nice way to start the day. The problem becomes when kids really love co-sleeping, which is sort of like a you know, a similar theme of what Joanna has with the potential boo baby. When kids really love co-sleeping, they don't always wait until 4.30. Kids are waking up, again, five to, five to eight times a night, and each time they have to decide to fall back asleep. And if they're in their crib and they're like, my crib sucks, I want to be in your bed, then they wake up fully and say, hey, mom, I want to be in your bed. You bring them into your bed, they're perfectly content, but the incentive system keeps prompting them to wake up earlier and earlier and earlier. So the sleep drive is pretty heavy early in the night, so she's going to be able to navigate a few sleep cycles early in the night. Um, but as soon as that starts to wane even a little bit at around one in the morning, she's like, whoop, no way, this crib stuff is for the birds, I sleep with you. And the challenge, of course, becomes, you know, this can actually lead to all-night co-sleeping. You know, older kids, strong-willed kids start waking up at 12, 11, 10, you know, 10. And then you basically have a kid who takes a brief nap in their crib at bedtime and then comes to sleep with you from 9 o'clock on. I mean, not in all cases, but that certainly is one possible uh, kind of road that this leads to. Um, so back to if everything is pro appropriate on the sleep hygiene front. Age-appropriate wake time, sufficient bedtime routine, completely awake, no lingering sleep associations, you know, no passy use, no late naps, yada, yada, yada. 
If you are committed to not having her in your bed, then yes, the key would be to not invite her to your bed anymore. And if she's waking up at 1, I don't expect that there's going to be a lot of upset about it. If she's waking up at 4.30, it's going to be a little harder because it's harder to fall back asleep at 4.30. And the key with this, as with everything, would be full commitment. If you're saying this co-sleeping isn't working for us, we don't want you in our bed, we don't want to potentially be on a path that leads to large parts of the night or all night co-sleeping, then you sort of have to remove that from your list of options and just say, we're not going to do it. Will it be rough for a few days? Yes, it probably will be. Will she get over it? Yes, she will definitely get over it. So I hope that helps uh, clarify some of the many reasons that you can have lingering night waking, even though you've done everything perfectly at bedtime. All right. On to a new topic. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Uh, Mi Kai um, asks about preferred source babies. And she says, so I am struggling with a six-month-old who prefers breasts more than bottle. He drinks just enough to get by during the day. I work full time. She says, his weight is also not great, 34%. As a side note, 34% is awesome and not something to be concerned about. But okay, she's got worries. So she's hesitant about night weaning. I saw that sometimes these kiddos, there may not be any good solution, but I would like to know, how can I help him eat less at night if we have concerns about him eating enough during the day? Additionally, we share a room. What can we do? So Preferred source for sure is an issue. There are many kids out there who will just snack all day on the bottle and wait until mom is available, which is in the evening, and then they go to town. This can also be compounded by the fact that a lot of times when we go back to work full time, we have a lot of guilt and we don't feel quite, you know, 100% about not being around during the day. And so it's harder to establish limits and hold those limits firmly at night because that little voice of guilt is like, oh, but he loves you. He loves nursing. You don't have that many opportunities. They're only a baby for such a short time, you know. So that voice is kind of in the mix as well. But, you know, let's just take a step back from all of kind of the guilt and all of that stuff and say, okay, he's a six-month-old. He's at the 34th percentile, which is totally fine. Not a problem. So while Mikai might have concerns about his growth, nothing she's telling me in her email ha- makes me have concerns about his growth. Again, not a pediatrician, but for what it's worth, I have no concerns. Uh, she also doesn't say how much he's eating at night, but I'm assuming it's a lot. So step number one, as always, we look at bedtime. Is he nursing at or near to sleep at bedtime? If so, we need to change what's happening at bedtime. Is he using a pacifier? Pacifiers at bedtime can reestablish the suck equal sleep association, which will lock you into frequent demands to eat at night. Is he awake an age-appropriate amount of time prior to bedtime? And is he going to sleep 100% awake? And is he going to sleep 100% independently? If, if Mikai gets a gold star on all of those friends, uh, then we look at night weaning. And I would take the first feeding of the night and gradually reduce the amount of time he gets to nurse over subsequent nights, you know, whatever it is, 10 minutes, 9 minutes, 8 minutes, you know, set an alert on your iPhone so that it keeps you honest because uh, we tend to fall asleep when we're nursing. Um, 
And I would have faith because part of this is a chicken and egg issue. If he's tanking up at night, and it is not unusual to see nursing six-month-olds who are eating 14, 16, even 18 ounces of milk at night, and they have these huge bowling ball diapers, and you know they're peeing through their diapers because of how much they're consuming at night, and then they go to daycare and they snack on eight ounces of milk during the day because, ich bottles, right? So sometimes this is a chicken and an egg. A kid who is eating 18 ounces at night is not going to be hungry for bottles during the day. And thus they'll keep just snacking all day and tanking up all night. And the way to transition into eating all day is to simply, you know, set some boundaries and limits around how much we're going to eat at night. And the kind of the most gradual way to approach that is what I suggested, 10 minutes, 9 minutes, 8 minutes, gradually shorting how much he gets to eat. And then moving on down the pike that way, first feeding, second feeding, third feeding. Now, you know, he's six months old. People who are working often have issues or concerns, I should say, about supply and don't want to maybe always have large swaths of time without stimulating production in the night. That's a whole nother conversation. I'm just focusing on the sleep hygiene and the idea of saying, if you've nailed the sleep hygiene and you're nursing a lot at night and he's not hungry during the day... He'll never be hungry during the day as long as he's eating a lot at night. And the way to get him hungry during the day is to simply make it less available at night and hold that firm boundary if you can. I hope that helps. Uh, Sam, who is awesome, you will see Sam answering a lot of questions on the blog, and she's fabulous, had a question. Um, How important is circadian rhythm for naps? Um, We know it's important for bedtime. Is there a point? a point where circadian rhythm trump uh, over wake time length for nap. I'm not quite sure what she's saying there. But I think what she's saying is, you know, does how, how does the circadian rhythm factor in for nap time? Now, keep in mind that a lot of our understanding of sleep comes from adult studies, and we're projecting a lot of these insights into infants because we know that, you know, kind of developmentally, infants are actually a lot closer to, to us than we think. I mean, they're little and cute, but we really are pretty similar in terms of our inner workings. So uh, adults, however, don't nap typically. <laughs> so a lot of the adult studies don't really deal with naps because we're not napping. Um, we know that there is a lull, a circadian rhythm lull in the afternoon, which corresponds to what would be a siesta uh, if you were in a country that does that little like afternoon nap. So there is kind of a natural lull in the afternoon where we all feel like taking a nap. I know I do. I could take a nap right now, but I'm podcasting. So back to the topic. Um, but the primary driver for day sleep is really sleep drive, which is which is what, what we talk about when we're talking about wake times. Um, and because it's primarily, you know, sleep drive is primarily driven by time, how long you've been awake. Um, that's why this, this, this wake time issue becomes uh, pretty much our main focus when it comes to nap. Now, as kids get older, we do get to kind of move towards a by-the-clock schedule because their naps become pretty consistent. And also older kids, how much time they need to be awake between naps gets to be a little more flexible. They can handle a little bit more of a swing, you know, plus or minus 30 minutes, 60 minutes in there, and it's not that big a deal. And that enables us to move to by the clock napping. And that just kind of makes life easier. So you can schedule your life around the naps versus just kind of scrambling around trying to figure out what your baby needs from day to day. Um, But yeah, it is pretty much uh, based on time. Okay. Uh, Last question is from Kristen. So 
This is an older kid question, and I love older kids' questions because older kids are honestly a lot more fun. People will say, oh, how do you do quote-unquote cry it out, which we're not using that term anymore, with older kids, it's so tragic. And I'm like, tragic? No, it's not. Older kids are awesome, and you can talk to them. You can tell them what changes you're making and why you're making them, and you can get their participation. You know, what would you like to see? How can we make your bedtime awesome? This isn't working for me, but what would you like to do? Um, I actually think, you know, sleep issues and parenting with older kids is um, in many ways just a lot more fun and you have a lot more tools at your disposal. Um, whereas, you know, your six-month-old is just, you know, you're not going to have a conversation about anything because they're just going to, you know, stick it in their mouth and and chew on it. So uh, here's what Kristen asks. Here is a question that deals with older kids and sleep. How do I get my kids seven, six, and four to sleep longer in the morning? They go to bed around eight or eight thirty, and they wake up anytime starting at four thirty, which wakes up my husband and I. I'm especially concerned because my six-year-old has fallen asleep at school and will still take naps after school if I let her. She does nap on her own on the weekends a lot of the time. She also wakes up during the night asking for her covers to be on, be put back on, sometimes multiple times. So with bigger kids, uh, I love having family meetings. Um, I We've modeled our own family meetings off of uh, what's suggested by Vicki Hoffel and Duct Tape Parenting, and it works great for us. I don't think they're there is a one way that family meetings have to go, but, um, you know, whatever works for you. But family meetings are a really great time to sort of talk about things that aren't working for everybody. And ideally, it's not about like singling out one individual and saying, you know, we need a family meeting because, you know, Bob is a slob and he never puts his dishes away. Like that's not what it is. But it's to say, hey, you know, this doesn't seem to be working for us collectively. What could we do about it. What are some ideas? And I love putting it out on the table and then just letting the kids answer. There's a temptation to fill the silence, right? You know, you ask a question, what can we do about this? And then you want to fill it with your own ideas. And it's really hard not to jump into the void, but I just like let it sit out there and see what comes out. So my first thought is I would put it out to the four and six and seven-year-olds and say, hey guys, we're waking up too early and we're not getting the sleep that we need. Um, And we know this is true, you know? Because six-year-olds are not typically napping anymore, certainly not falling asleep at school. You know, that's like a middle and high school problem. (laughs) We don't want to see that in kindergarten and first grade. So I would just put it out there and say, what can we do about this? Now, hopefully they'll come up with some good solutions. And the solutions need to be unanimously agreed to by all. So it shouldn't be punitive. It should be like, hey, can we all agree to this? Um, I would look at what are the rules about when you wake up. Um, what can you do? What can't you do? So if you wake up at 4.30, can you come out and watch TV? No. Can you wake up everybody else? No. Is it time to play music? No. What can you do? Well, uh, can you stay in your bed? Yes. Can you cuddle with your stuffed animals? Yes. Um, can you tell yourself a story? Something, maybe recreate a a book that you really enjoy. Think about that story in your head. Maybe revisit a movie that you saw that you really enjoyed. Revisit that in your head. Maybe make up your own story. Yes, you can do these things. Um, 
I think, you know, most four and six-year-olds are a little fuzzy on telling time. So the quote-unquote okay-to-wait clocks can be really useful if you don't want to spend $40. For $7, you can get a timer that you put into a nightlight. And we're not allowed to come out of bed until the nightlight turns off, which turns off at a set time that you've established. Um, if they're waking up at 4.30, I wouldn't make it too, too late. Like I wouldn't say, oh, you have to sit in your bed until 9. But, you know, maybe we start with 5.30 or 6 as our sort of morning threshold of when it's okay to come out. Um, you reward compliance. So reward the positive. Hey, Everybody stayed in their beds until the timer went off. Fantastic. I'm going to make pancakes or, you know, hey, let's do a fun special act family activity this morning. Um, something immediate that happens fairly soon after they get up to really acknowledge what great work they're doing. Um, you know, your, your children are older. You could also think about sticker charts and longer term things like maybe some special activity that everyone's excited about. Like, hey, if we can all do this for 10 days, we get 10 stickers and then we could go play laser tag or bowling or, you know, whatever it is that everyone's going to be excited about. Um, so you want to reward the positive and sort of ignore the negative. So what happens if they don't pay attention to the clock and they get out of bed? I would just walk them back and restate the rule. Sorry, buddy, not time to get up yet. We got to wait till the light turns off. You can lie here quietly and cuddle with Teddy and tell yourself stories and I'll see you when it's morning. Um, I think a lot of times bigger kids are really open to suggestion. Hear what they have to say, throw it out at family meeting and follow through. Um, but yeah, so 4.30 is, if, especially with an 8.30 bedtime, is too early for kids this age. Their behavior is telling you that. And I think I would definitely look at coming up with some systems some cues, the nightlight on a tech on a on a timer, some reward systems, some incentive programs to really coax compliance and make sure that we're not inadvertently rewarding the behavior with special attention. Just one thought, like if I'm six and I wake up at four thirty, does that mean I get two hours of one on one time with mom and dad? In a family of three kids, that might be really rewarding. So just keep you know, take a look around and go, oh, are there any kind of subtle ways that we might be rewarding our kids to actually wake up early because they get special attention or they get to play on the iPad or whatever it is and make sure that we remove any incentives to wake up early while also creating incentives to stay in our beds and stay quiet until the um, target wake time uh, and see where that takes you. Okay, I think those are all of the questions I had uh, from email um, this week, but I really appreciate everybody who sent them in. Uh, again, if you have questions for us, um, you can always email us at podcast at preciouslittlesleep.com. I don't know when we'll answer questions again, but at the rate that I'm going, it'll probably probably be next week. Um, again, this is Alexis Dubieff with the Precious Little Sleep Podcast, and we really appreciate you joining in with us. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.